you know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched, pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations. Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit osseogear.com. That's A-S-I-O gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear, prepare to be invisible. Well, welcome everyone to Chasing Giants podcast brought to you by Osseo Gear with Don Higgins. I'm Terry Peer. Welcome to episode 102. Um, we're actually, Don, we're recording this on Friday night, which is kind of odd for us, isn't it? Yeah, usually we do it on Sundays, uh, Sunday evenings, but uh, I've got some schedule conflicts. I'm in Ohio right now, and you are headed to West Virginia. Is it West Virginia yeah, West or Virginia? Virginia? Yeah, West Virginia. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the the and, and we, we appreciate how much positive feedback we're getting with the video version of this on YouTube. Uh, we hope we're staying loyal to the core of our audience that's listening on podcast platforms or on MTech. But adding the video to uh, these episodes, I think uh, we've picked up a lot of viewers from it, and I think people enjoy it. But the difficult part is the editing time is a little bit longer than what we're used to. So we've been either recording early on Sunday or on even on Saturday night, but it's just not going to be an option this week with our schedule. So we're recording Friday night, the 28th, even though everyone's going to see this on Sunday, the 30th. So a little bit odd for us. We got a couple uh, days that normally we'd talk about on the podcast, but we're cut short because we're recording early. So what what are you doing in Ohio? How many properties are you going to be uh, uh, working on this week? Uh, well, I, I looked at the first one here today. I, I'm going to look at seven properties while I'm here, and then I'm going to have to actually make a second trip to Ohio later. But yeah, up north, you know, along Lake Erie, they, they got a bunch of snow, and, you know, they're looking at one of the landowners up there. The clients said that they've got uh, 18 inches to two feet of snow, and he actually sent me a trail camera picture that he got on his cell camera of a deer that was standing in the snow, and the snow was up to the deer's belly. Uh, okay. I, I'm not stomping around in that kind of stuff. I'm not putting snowshoes on and plus you can't see anyway. So well, what um, you want to see with habitat and trails and different things, you're not going to be able to see with that much snow on the ground. Anyway, a, a little bit of right. snow where you can see tracks isn't a bad thing. Right. I was actually in Cuyahoga falls just, uh, between Cleveland and Akron, uh, earlier this week. And, uh, um, they, they got quite a bit of snow from that lake effect while I was even up there. So 
Mm-hmm. I want to uh, I want to pick your brain a little bit. You had a couple really good stories from uh, this this past week while you were out in I believe this was Missouri, wasn't it? Um, that photo was actually Kansas. from Kansas. Kansas. Yep. So you, you made uh, a you made a post on social media about this these huge rock fences and and you're a tall fella and it looks like the guy that's standing beside you he's got to be good grief six five six six and this is up over both of your shoulders that's a lot yeah. of rocks yeah there's there, rock walls or rock fences are pretty common out there but usually they're about knee high waist at the most but uh, this client his uh, great grandfather stacked these rocks way back in the day to make a cattle corral so uh they would get the these cattle in this corral that was made of these rocks and um just you know back in that day they used what they had available and those rocks were plentiful available in that area and they made a cattle corral out of them i just thought that was neat as could be well i'm just we have a lot of the the rock and stone fences here in kentucky in horse country where they would pick them out of the horse horse farm pastures but I've never seen, I don't know how long the fence is. You don't get a perspective of how, how much of it. But both of you two are tall guys. And for this thing to be up over both of your shoulders, that's a lot of rock. I guess they didn't want the cows to jump it when they got crowded. So they stacked her high. And then when we, we talk a little bit about big things that you saw, this uh, monster, monster tree. I don't know that I've ever even seen a tree this big before. It's the biggest one I've seen. I mean, I've never been to the Redwood Forest in California or the Sequoias, but I'm telling you, they said it was, you know, the crazy thing was the day before I was on another property and the guy says, I'll show you the biggest cottonwood tree you've ever seen in your life. It measures 21 feet, seven inches around or something like that. And it was huge. And then the very next day, the very next day, the very next client says, I'm going to show you the biggest cottonwood tree you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) It measures 35 feet and something around, and here it is. And I'm telling you what, that was a absolute giant tree. So when you were out on these properties, did you just see anything that just looked like unbelievable deer habitat? What kind of what kind of terrain were you out in? Well, basically, I was in all kinds of, of t- different terrain. I went, uh, I spent three days in northern Missouri, and then three days in Kansas, and. Uh, you know, there was one farm that I was on. We're going to talk about that with one of the questions tonight. But uh, the, the one farm I was on was so open, I didn't even get out of the truck. The guy <laughs> just drove me around. And, and, I mean, there was these little wooded draws down in the ravines and along the creeks and such. But you could see right through them. And we just covered all the, the edges and such in his truck. And uh, that's how open it was. Um, you know, other areas were more wooded some of them were fairly flat some of them were really hilly so just a, a lot of diversity this week and then i went home for one day and headed east to, to ohio so well, I, I put a few miles on that chevy this week there, i guarantee you there is no property in eastern ohio that you're going to be able to to see everything from the truck driving around you're in big wood timber area there aren't you yeah and it's almost mountainous where i was at today uh, especially um giant hills yeah well um i want i want to save some time in this podcast we told everybody last week that we had a very big announcement that we were going to make uh this episode and it would be really easy for us to kind of 
make everybody wait, but I think everybody likes to listen to the listener submitted questions anyway, so I don't want to play any tricks on anybody. But Don and I are going to um, pause here for a second. I'm going to play a clip uh, that has two of our good friends on it. That's Chris Yates from Victory Chevrolet and Brian Kraft from Midwest Land Group. And they're going to help us make an announcement about uh, what's going on this, this year. All right, everybody. I've been looking forward to this segment of the podcast for, uh, for quite a few months now. We've alluded to the fact that we have big news coming, and I, I can't be more proud to uh, look back on the last year of Lester's feet and uh, not only um, think about how many people contributed, but how many people believed in what we were doing. And there's a, a group of guys that's on the screen or uh, that you're going to be listening to here in just a second that have probably been the biggest supporters for Don and I kicking this thing off. And that's Chris Yates from Victory Chevrolet and Brian Kraft from Midwest Land Group. So we're pleased to announce tonight that the 2022 raffle is a go. Um, as, as we talked about uh, in last couple episodes, Lester's feet by the miracle of God navigated the federal government and the IRS to get our nonprofit in a record setting four weeks. So we are fully approved, but we still have some steps to kind of go through in order to host this raffle. And it means a lot that we had to come up with a partner to kind of host the raffle with us. And Don's home church in Illinois is going to be the ones to step up for that. So Don, I, I think it's only appropriate we start this conversation with you talking about your home church and uh, and them helping us out in this a little bit. Yeah, Terry, my home church is uh, Solid Rock Chapel in Sullivan, Illinois. And I know that uh, the listeners of Chasing Giants probably remember that um, on multiple occasions, I've invited the listeners to be my guest at the church. And, uh, you know, if you tell me you're coming, I'll meet you at the door on Sunday morning and, and even take you out for lunch afterwards. And, uh, you know, it's just been a God thing, Terry, this whole Lester's feet deal from the get go. And, um, just, you know, me meeting guys like Brian and and Chris, and, uh, they, they just jumped in and, um, we're, we're huge supporters from the get go. But, uh, you know, that, that church, uh, my home church is also playing a big pivotal role this year and I couldn't be more proud of them. Uh, there wasn't, uh, you know, big, long discussions. We went to them with the idea and it's okay, let's do it, <laughs> you know, and that's the way they, they operate. You know, if uh, God's opening doors, they knock them down and go through. Yeah. Um, I, I can, um, I can't emphasize enough that every time that we see a challenge, with what we've tried to do with Lester's feet, God's opened up a door to facilitate and navigate it. And that, that comes from dealing with the IRS to the, uh, our friend and listener in New York that's listening right now that hooked us up with a nonprofit attorney in Kentucky to help us uh, navigate all this stuff. Um, it always seems like no matter what Satan tries to do as a hurdle or a roadblock, God just automatically steers and puts people in our lives and organizations. So two of those organizations from the very beginning um, are, are with us in this segment of the podcast, and that's Brian Kraft from Midwest Land Group. And we've all heard about uh, Chris Yates from Victory Chevrolet. We talk about he's got the best deal on uh, diesel trucks in the country. 
uh, oftentimes on the uh, on the podcast. But I'm going to start with Brian. Uh, Brian, you and I sat in Don's shed after a master class one time. Just basically, you were talking about your background and how you started your business and and uh, kind of navigated your way through life. Um, and you know, I know you don't want this known. But the next morning when we started the master class, you came in and just handed me a check and said, take care of a family with this. And that was the first big donation that this organization ever, ever really had. And uh, and that money went straight to families. So um, as a courtesy to you, just just tell us just a little bit about Midwest Land Group, who you are. Um, I think I owe it to you as a friend and uh, someone I respect in business to just give you the opportunity to introduce your organization to everybody listening. Oh, uh, well, thank you so much, man. We appreciate the opportunity to be on here and chat with you guys tonight. And we really appreciate the opportunity that you've given us to be able to give and be able to help other people. Cause without that, you know, we, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same here. It, we would be looking for uh, other ways to be able to help and, you know, for me personally, when you, when we were in the garage or in the uh, shop, they're talking about it that night, man. I just I knew what I was supposed to do, and I told you then I was all in. Anything that we could do to help, we were there to help. But Midwest Land Group's just a we're a land company. We're a great group of guys. There's almost a, right at a hundred of us strong right now, as far as agents, and we all have the same belief system. And it wasn't just me that contributed last year. It was every one of my agents at the company, and uh, we wanted to do more this year if we could and uh thank goodness we we met good old chris and we came up with an idea and i'll i'll let him tell what the idea is but um yeah man we're thankful to be able to help out in any way we can we wish we could do more wish there was more opportunities for everybody there well i think um you know one of the one of the key things that don and i have heard from you is i think I think the general public, number one, has a hard time donating because they're they're scared that people are going to take advantage of them or going to take advantage of the situation. And you gave me some really good advice that first night that we talked and, and helped kind of set the groundwork or the foundation of Lester's feet. And um, I think one of the things I've learned from you over the years is that key phrase is you can't be afraid of somebody that's going to abuse the situation from doing the right thing. And, uh, you know, even though we've set up Lester's feet to pay bills directly, yeah. um, I can sleep at night knowing that our heart is in the right place to take donor money and make sure that people put it in the right place. If, if parents decide to spend the other money somewhere else, that's their business. But we're not going to let the fear of Satan uh, keep us from doing the right thing. And that's taking care of these families. So I, I, I honest, in front of everybody watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much your kind of advice and just a candid conversation really set the tone for the foundation of what Lester's feet is today. So I truly appreciate that. Man, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I'm I'm glad that I could say some encouraging words every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, you pulled that one out. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, it's just when it happens, it's good. Well, I'm going to switch over and talk to Chris Yates here uh, for a minute. And the name Chris Yates should not be uh, new to anybody on the podcast. Uh, you've been a partner of this podcast. But what people don't know is silently you've been supporting Lester's feet in multiple ways from the beginning. And uh, I've never seen a man that 
as hard as as big as what yours is. Um, obviously, you're a businessman in the Kansas City area that started with very humbly beginnings in the automotive industry and have grown your dealerships to, I, I believe you'll have to clarify it in just a second, I believe four stores now. But I think back to a family that I called you that uh, their daughter had cancer in the Kansas City area. And um, I got a hold of a principal from this little girl's school. And he said, Terry, this car that has to drive into Kansas City to get this kid treatment, man, it, it, it's on four donut spare tires. I don't know where they got them to put it on, but this car needs work bad. And I called Chris Yates and he doesn't even want this story known, by the way. He, he'll he'll uh, he'll get on me after this recording that I even told this. But, you know, Lester's feet, we needed basically a, a, a service organization or service shop to work on this vehicle. So I called Chris and I said, hey, man, I need you to go over this car. Make sure it's uh, safe for this mom to drive this kid back and forth an hour for chemo treatments. And this car was in pretty bad shape. I think the whole wiring harness was gutted out of it. It was pretty rough. And, uh, you know, we, we had already voted as a board mm. to cover the cost on whatever it took to, to, uh, to pay for it. And uh, Chris, Chris fixed it, and we never got a bill. He ate that internally with his, uh, his um, uh, car dealerships and his service organization. But... Um, just like Brian, the, the giving heart that you have, not only for Lester's feet, but your soup kitchen ministries and everything else that you do in the Kansas City area is uh, second to none. And I can't think of a better person that I would like to recommend people to do their car dealing with than, than you at Victory Chevrolet. So just introduce Victory Chevrolet for us real quick. So Vic, uh Victory Chevrolet, we have three dealerships, uh, one in Smithville, Missouri, one in Savannah, Missouri, and one in Paola, Kansas. Uh, the one in Paola, Kansas is a Chevy Buick GMC. The other two are Chevy. So uh, Chevy in Savannah and Smithville. So uh, for the people who are new to the podcast, Chris has the deal of the century if you're looking for a diesel truck. Um he has a special program where you buy a truck from him and then he buys it back and trades you every year for um, for about five grand, depending on the mileage that you want uh, in the package. So if you're looking for the best deal on a diesel truck, he how, how many states have, have we helped you sell vehicles in there, Chris? <laughs> I mean, sometimes I believe it's all 50. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot. We've got them from... Pennsylvania to Ohio, a lot from Illinois, uh, Utah, uh, Washington State. I mean, everywhere you don't realize how many people actually do listen to podcasts. I mean, it's, I mean, it's the, every time I get a, a, a voice message or a text message, say, they always say, uh, yeah, Chris, uh, I heard about you on Don Higgins or I know Don or Terry or so it's quite a bit. The first, I remember the first night we was on the podcast, the next morning I was like, wow. <laughs> I'm gonna have my phone off today, but it, it, it's 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 been very good, very good. Now you know what it's like to carry as many uh, a phone with as many numbers saved in it as Don Higgins. His phone rings off the hook like that every day. <laughs> That's true. Well, um, with respect to your all's time, uh, you know we're talking about that the that the uh, raffle is a go for 2022. 
you guys sat down and had an idea that you pitched to us several months ago. We've been keeping it under wraps. Um, I'm just going to let you all lead with it and tell us what the grand prize of the 2022 Lester's Feet Raffle is going to be. Tell them what it is, Chris. So the grand prize for this year's raffle is going to be a 2022 1500 half-ton Silverado Trail Boss uh, four-wheel drive. <laughs> just absolutely amazing. Um, I remember the day that you texted me and said, I need you and Don on a, on a phone call this afternoon. I think it was the last week of October because I had an open house at work. And I thought, oh, no, something's going on. What's wrong? And he goes, nope, I just had breakfast or lunch or something with Brian Kraft, and, and we want to do something. And you broke the news to us that you wanted to do it. Now, since then, we've been trying to navigate Lester's Feet, you know, nonprofit status and how we're going to do this with attorneys and everything. And we'll be releasing that information very soon. But the fact that Midwest Land Group, which is a group of real estate agents in, help me out here, Kansas, nine Oklahoma. Yeah. What's that? All across, nine states across the Midwest. Nine states, a, real, a, a, a group of real estate agents and a group of, uh, of car dealerships have come together and believed in this thing big enough that uh, uh, we're going to raise a lot of money for a lot of families. And the grand prize is going to be a brand new truck. And you know, a lot of times when these big ticket items get donated, they'll say, okay, well, the truck's going to cost $50,000 and you all get whatever's above that. You two and your organizations are donating this free and clear. So yeah. this is, there is no fixed cost in this. Your two organizations are ponying up and uh, believing in helping families and spreading the word of Christ. Uh, this much, and um, I, I don't know if Don has any words to stay here or not, but I'm I'm honored to call you both friends, mentors, and inspirations in using whatever you have that God gave you to do something better. Well, Terry, as I sit here and uh, watch you guys here on my computer screen, you know what really strikes me is not only the giving heart of these two guys, but uh, you know I think back to the dealings I've had with both of them. And we've never had signed agreements or anything. It's always been word. We're men of our word, but in a handshake. And, uh, you know, Victory Chevrolet sponsoring the podcast. There's no contract drawn up and signed. No list of deliverables that we expect out of each other. It's just Chris and I, we talked in the Iowa way at the Iowa Deer Classic. We, we come to an agreement in about 30 seconds. We shook hands <laughs> and walked away. And that that's the that's the quality of these guys. It, it goes beyond their giving heart. It's just uh, the kind of people they are. And I, I can't tell you how proud I am that, uh, um, to be associated with them and uh, to have them a, a major part of Lester's feet. It's just huge. Well, we thank you guys a lot again for giving us the opportunity. Like I said, we were, <clears throat> we really wanted to do more than just give a donation. <clears throat> we thought that by giving the truck away, they would actually raise more awareness than any, just straight cash donation that we could do, but you are correct. We'll take care of all the expenses of the vehicle. Whoever wins this, it won't cost you a penny. And uh, like I said, we just, we couldn't be more happy and more proud to be able to be a part of this. Cause it's, for us, it's just really special. You know, like you said, Terry, it's, you know, a lot of times you give and you just don't know exactly what your money's going to, but man, I knew from day one where my money was going. Cause I knew who I was dealing with. 
uh, not just mine. It's God's money. Always has been. Always will be. I'm just I'm just here to to do what I'm supposed to do with it. And that's kind of what I told you to begin with. Is man, I just do what I'm supposed to do, and I let God take care of the rest. And when Chris and I had lunch, he said, "You do you want to do this? You need to call anybody?" I said, "I don't need to call anybody, man. I already know the answer to all these questions. It's a yes. We're in. Let's do this." And I was really glad to be able to be a part of it, and I'm glad we got it worked out. I really am. Yeah, it was, uh, we had to navigate some tight ropes there, um, for the last couple months, but again, it's a matter of God just opening doors. So, um, you know, I, 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 there's really, there's really, uh, on chasing giants is basically just a platform that we're able to share the news. Uh, Lester's feed is the actual ministry, but there's three organizations that are really coming together to make this work. And that is Midwest Land Group, what Brian Kraft and his agents represent. It's Chris Yates at Victory Chevrolet and his four dealerships in the Kansas City area. And it's, um, and it's Don's Home Church um, that are really coming together and seeing the vision in this. And um, I'm just humbled to be a very small part of this thing that um, I know my grandfather would be really proud of four, you know, really, really good guys that love deer hunting. And, and really that's what brought us together was the love of deer hunting to find a way to make a difference in somebody else's life. And I, I, I think my grandfather would be proud of that. Absolutely. He would, I'm you no know, doubt about it, Terry. That's right. It's, it's funny how God works. You know, it was, uh, Chris and I actually met in a driveway up in Northern Missouri. He was from Mississippi and I was from Mississippi. We, the That's guy that actually introduced us had to kind of stand aside because we wouldn't quit talking to each other. And, uh, you know, he, uh, Chris called me one day after Don had looked at my farm, just to tell you how God works and all this. Chris called me one day and he's like, Hey man, I know you had Don out to one of your farms. And he said, uh, I really want to have him out. You think I should do it? And I said, man, if you don't learn anything about deer hunting, you're going to meet somebody that you really need to be meeting. That's all I can tell you. So whatever you got to do, you get him on that farm. And uh, I don't think it was about deer hunting. This is what it was all about right here. So I'm just glad to be a part of it. Absolutely. That's exactly how it happened. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy how things like that happen. I mean, it's just God doing his work. I mean, it's, I was about to say that the funny thing was I tell the same story that Brian just told, because that's how I met Don from Colin Bryan. Well, um, like I said, I don't want to drag this out, but the good news is the raffle's on. We're going to have a bunch of prizes. All of the other sponsors that support Don and myself and other companies affiliated with the outdoor community um, are going to be stepping up. But the news for tonight is that the raffle is on. Midwest Land Group, Victory Chevrolet, and um, Don's Home Church are going to make it happen, and the grand prize is going to be a 2022 Trail Boss Silverado four-wheel drive truck, and uh, that's going to be awesome, and uh, I can't wait to uh, to keep sharing more details as the auction opens up. We'll be sharing more of that as we go. All right, Don, so what do you think about giving away a free truck? Well, I, I said that... Uh... A free hunt on my farm would be the booby prize this year. <laughs> I'm just, you know what? I, I've got to know both Chris and Brian over the last couple of three years. Actually, Brian longer than that. Um, I, I've done consulting work on numerous properties for Brian. And uh, I've also been to Chris's property. That's how we met. And I, I've heard both of these guys' life stories. 
and I'm not going to share any personal information here, but I want to tell you something about these guys. They didn't start out with a silver spoon. They didn't start out wealthy. These guys both came from very humble beginnings and are today are extremely successful and yet they never forgot where they came from and they're sharing um, their blessings with others. That's exactly what it is. They're sh they've been extremely blessed and they're sharing it with others. And I'll tell you what, I just, I'm so proud to be associated with them guys. It's just unreal. The quality of the people that uh, I get to meet on my consulting visits and just day after day after day, it's just like one good person after another. And, and Brian and, and Chris just happened to be two of those. So, um, you know, we had four guys on the last, uh, we recorded that on Thursday night. Um, we had some bandwidth problems, but the audio came through fine. I think there's some uh, freezing uh, um, pictures with the four of us in there that kind of moved around. So we apologize about that, but extremely excited about uh, what we have to uh, kind of present as everybody. We'll, we'll give you the details of the raffle. We're finishing up the, the final pieces of it. All of the people that's been calling for the last year wanting to donate to this coming year's raffle we're finally ready for you so if you have something you want to donate and put in the raffle from your business i know all of our sponsors from the podcast are chipping in we'll be announcing that so if you're listening to this and you want to participate uh your good friend um uh joe uh built a uh, deer antler shed antler uh, chandelier that's been sitting in my um, office floor here since uh, early deer season um, we've got already um, um, cedar ridge tactical donated a spotting scope so we've already got some stuff so if if you're wanting to donate now the the raffle is a go we're going to do it make sure you get with don or i actually just go ahead and send me a message um, Don's just going to forward it to me anyway, and uh, we'll make sure we gather all this stuff up and get everybody the details. I, um, you got something else on that? Well, we probably should say, Terry, that we're not taking any hunts. Oh, um, good point. Because of liability issues. So um, we're sorry, but we just can't take hunts for liability issues. But if you've got product, you know, you're a company, um, whatever, we're, we're definitely interested. We want to help as many families as we can, and uh, the bigger we can make this, the better. And uh, we just appreciate everyone's support. Yeah, we had some people reach out last year, and we said we're just going to navigate this on stuff that Don and I can control. And then after talking with our attorney um, for the liability of the foundation and personal property associated with it, it's just we're going to stay away from donated hunts. I do have the ability, we, we did navigate, that if somebody wants to donate a firearm, you know, a lot of the Ducks Unlimited banquets or Wild Turkey Federation, their shotguns and different things. We do have a way to navigate that with FFLs. So if that's something that you want to donate or you have a means to do it for the raffle, we can facilitate that. But we're going to stay away from the hunts. Um, so appreciate everybody's support. We're really excited about it. Um, I, I, you just you just said something that triggered another thought that I was going to bring up later. And I'm going to share my screen now. And I don't know if you saw this or not, but everybody, I don't watch the NFL anymore. Um, and it's not really because I'm still boycotting them because I quit watching it because they all started taking a knee and I just had a problem mm -hmm. with that. 
But the thing was, is I filled that time that I watch sports with, with other things. And I just haven't gone back to doing it. I stay busy without investing, you know, two to four hours watching sports on the weekends. So, um, you know, we harp on people pretty hard when it comes to this kind of stuff. But you just said people using their blessings and everybody's talked about this football game that happened last week. And, um, you know, the Bills quarterback with 13 seconds drove down the field and scored a touchdown to tie the game and uh, put it into overtime. And because of the stupid rules in the NFL, both teams don't get a shot to score. So Kansas City won the toss and was able to score first so they won so we saw chris yates up in the up in the uh top of the stadium going nuts with everybody he posted those pictures but this is what i think is special the kansas city chiefs posted something about honoring the job that the opposing team or the opposing quarterback did and called for all the fans to donate 13 dollars to that quarterback's mm. charity in honor of this miraculous drive that he did in 13 seconds in just a couple days, they uh, raised $178,000. So even though we're, we harp on people all the time about, you know, taking a knee or doing whatever, I think in this case, just, just an awesome uh, way to use, this is what, this is what public platforms should be about. Not, not taking a knee, but helping others like this. And, and I just felt, I felt need to share that. I thought that was a really cool story that the that the uh, Kansas City Chiefs actually honored the job that a, a competitor did in that game and then helped them raise money for their charity. That was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, Terry, uh, I've had the the privilege of working with some professional athletes doing consulting on their properties, and you know, I, I've hammered the NFL. Um, NBA as much as anybody and, and my complaint is not the, the the players it's the institution you know the NFL for example has made a bunch of decisions that were, were just asinine in my opinion and uh, that doesn't mean the players agree with it um, you know we can't you know our our government makes all kinds of stupid decisions that doesn't mean the citizens agree with it and it's the same way with these professional sports, uh, various leagues, lots of good players, good people that are using their blessings to help others. And, uh, that was a, a perfect example. I'm glad you shared that. That's, that's what it's about. So, uh, I want to talk real quick about, um, uh, an issue or a common question. It's really not really an issue. I shouldn't have used that word, but when we're start, we're in, we're in, we're in the uh, period of time where we're taking orders for Miscanthus. Um, Miscanthus is a screening product that Real World offers. It's a non-invasive screening, but this is not a seed. This is a live rhizome, very similar to a tree seedling or a root. And we're getting a lot of questions right now about uh, people wanting to um, ship their seed in the same box as the Miscanthus to save on shipping costs. And it's a great question because shipping is just crazy right now. And it's worth asking the question about combining different things into one shipment. But I want to take a minute and explain why we don't combine seed products with the Miscanthus. Do you want to hit on that real quick? Right. Well, for one thing, uh, the Miscanthus is it's very um, sensitive to 
you know, the weather conditions. It, it needs to be refrigerated. When we ship that miscanthus, it, it's in a bag. We, we put a moisture retention gel in with that miscanthus. So there's a lot of moisture and it comes out of a, a, a cooler. We keep, we keep it refrigerated until we ship it. So a lot of times that bag will sweat and uh, you, you got just way too much moisture in that box to be taking a chance by throwing seed in there as well. So even if we were to ship it at the same time, it would be in separate boxes. So uh, it, it's just not going to work to put the miscanthus and the seed in the same box. So we, we want you to contact us if there's an opportunity for you to combine shipments on, let's say, a, uh, a bag of harvest salad and a jug of plot topper. No problem. We can do that or mineral and seed. But when we're talking about giant miscanthus, uh, really the only time we're mixing that shipment with somebody is if they're receiving a bulk shipment of seed and we throw the miscanthus in on top of it and shrink wrap it and they're picking it up or we're dropping it off immediately. But to put these living roots that are uh, holding a lot of moisture in a box uh, with, with seed product, it's just not a good idea. So for everybody that's been asking about that, um, that's just the reason why I just want to take an opportunity. Um, I, I want to shift to our, um, we have a big announcement from Quiet Cat. Quiet Cat's been struggling with supply chain uh, just like everybody else, a lot of their bikes have been um, on back order and they uh, they contact us, contacted us and wanted us to make an announcement for them that bikes are back in stock. You can actually search on their website which ones are in stock, but they're actually putting a special promotion. So uh, you want to talk about that a little bit, Don? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good news for basically all the listeners of this podcast. I, I've been personally using quiet cat products for the last four years and those bikes have been a real game changer i mean especially the older i get i, I don't like walking three quarters of a mile across an open field and i can jump on that electric bike and i can be across there in a fraction of the time and not leave any ground scent or make any more noise probably less noise than if i was walking um they've just been a great partner you know they were founded by back in 2012 by a couple of hunters that were basically just looking for the best electric bike they could get um, for their own use. And, and they just, I mean, they knocked it out of the park with this quiet cat bike, but uh, as an exclusive promotion for the chasing giants listeners, they're going to send, if you buy a uh, quiet cat bike, they're going to give you a free trailer that's pulled behind these bikes. And you and I both have one of those, um, trailers terry they, they retail for 389 dollars so almost a 400 dollar product that they're going to give you so uh, if you want to order the bike you, we don't sell them i don't sell them they are you, you got to buy them direct from quiet cat i don't know if that, they probably have a dealer network too but to get to this special offer uh, you need to contact quiet cat directly and the coupon code is simply higgins h-i-g-g-i-n-s uh, you can use that on their website or uh, as you uh, correspond with them, whether by phone or whatever, to, to buy your quiet cat. And, and the other thing I want to throw out, Terry, is these bikes come with a 30-day risk-free trial. So you, you buy your quiet cat and you don't like it, you know, you got 30 days uh, to contact them and, and they'll take care of it. I, I guess I take it back even. So, yep, no risk. Yep. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about it. When you get onto the Quiet Cat website, there's actually two models of a trailer or wagon, I guess is what they call them. 
There's a two tire and then a single tire. Uh, this coupon applies for either one. So you can choose which one you want uh, based on your preference. I have, uh, we both have the two tire. And I'll, I'll be the first to say I have not put a deer on this and drug a deer out in it. But what I've used this the most for is in the spring, um, the wagon that is, in the spring when it's really muddy, wet conditions. I have a Kubota um, 1140X side by side so it's heavy it's almost as heavy as a subcompact tractor it still ruts the field out so when the conditions are really wet i'll take my my quiet cat with this wagon to take back and refresh my mineral sites on the farm mm -hmm. and you know you can throw multiple bags of mineral on this thing and just scoot across the field at 15 mile an hour in the mud and not track up or rut anything um so i've taken tree stands in and out with them so um they're they're really cool accessory for those of you who have quiet cats and i i might i might uh, offend some of our amish people because i might be misinformed a little bit but i know some amish uh uh communities don't allow electric bikes some do if if i was a um an amish person taking an electric bike this would be like the ultimate accessory for uh because yep. you could put you could put something on that and tow it around town and go you know to the store or go to work or wherever uh we even saw two years ago at uh ata show somebody had um kiski and on the on the little trailer pulling him around now he's a little feller he's not big like me um but they had they had don kiski on this thing getting pulled around the whole ata show so it's it's just Wait. a cool little promotion that they're giving us we wanted to share with everybody yeah, a couple of quick uh, comments there, Terry. Um, Quiet Cat does make a solar charger. So uh, for those Amish folks that uh, may be interested, uh, if that's allowed in your community, there is a solar charger for those batteries. And, and, you know, one of my favorite uses for the Quiet Cat is coming up. I like to use it for shed antler hunting because you can cover Ooh. a lot of field edges in a hurry. Yep. Get on that thing and just, just uh, skim those, those field edges. Um, you see a grass waterway going out into the field. You just work around it. And, uh, the new, I, I I'm going to buy one of those new, uh, baskets or whatever you call them, the racks on the back behind the seat. You got because one that coming. would be, that would be fantastic for, uh, take, for carrying the shed antlers. Yep. You got one coming. I ordered them this week. Um, that basket, the, the mounting bracket on it is a little bit different than our generation bikes. Our bikes are a couple years older. So the rear rack, it has a different bolt hole pattern. So I need to make a little adapter out of a, a piece of steel, but, uh, we both have those coming and we'll have them before shed antler season. But, awesome. um, thank you. But, uh, visit quiet cat. If you have questions, we can put you in touch with their product specialist to help you choose what bike. But I'm telling you to keep in, we, we talk about intrusion all the time on this podcast, and this isn't just a sponsor plug. This is about finding ways that you can navigate and do stuff on your property without leaving intrusion. And uh, this is one of the products that you talk about with, with your consulting clients every visit mm -hmm. to consider for checking trail cameras, putting feed mineral out, um, just navigating around the farm. It's, it's quiet and no sense. So it's a great, great I, tool that we've we've relied on. I'll tell you what, when when I first seen these electric bikes, I thought this is the stupidest idea I've ever seen in my life for a hunter. 
But after getting one, I'm telling you what, I'm impressed. And another way that I like to use them is in the summertime when I'm trying to, to film velvet bucks. If you find a soybean field that's planted on 30-inch rows, you can drive these quiet cat bikes right down the, the soybean rows and not hurt the plants at all. And I've had soybeans so tall, they're rubbing my hands on the handlebars, and you can't even tell I drove through that field. It's, I'm going right down the, the road, not running over the beans at all. So that, that's another good use I found for them. I remember the original idea you had about using electric bikes. It was because uh, one of the areas you hunt on your farm where you would leave your four-wheeler, if the deer looked out right. and saw that four-wheeler, and it could have been 600 yards away in open ag, but if they saw that blob, they knew something was up yep. and they got skittish. And the the reason you first started looking at electric bikes was to ride it out there and just lay it down and you could right. drive it a whole lot closer to where you were hunting and lay it down in the tall weeds and not even have to walk in. So it's, yep. it's really has been a game changer. I, I thought that the wagon would be a little gimmicky, but I'm telling you in the spring to carry mineral and different products to tree stands back and forth and, and do uh, different tasks on the farm, especially when it's wet is has been a game changer for me so that getting is a kind of a free bonus on a purchase right now uh pretty cool um i i do have uh announcement that i am picking up um our shirts tomorrow so i'm gonna have uh this is this is friday night saturday i'm gonna have some of our shirts in west virginia we'll have them in ship shawana but uh, uh, we'll be shipping those out pretty soon. We're going to have to up the order because we've already sold, I think, most of our pre-orders. So uh, we'll be getting those out soon. Um, since everybody's going to hear this Sunday, uh, while we're kind of navigating announcements, these are your speaking schedules uh, starting with February 5th at Extreme Custom Plots. There's a ticket for that one. Uh, the Ship Shawana show that's going to include the great debate um, that's February 17th and 19th. And then the Dixie Deer Classic we've talked about. You've added one onto here, Don, and that's the Illinois Deer Classic. Yeah, this is the first year for the Illinois Deer Classic. It's uh, it's going to be hosted by the same people that, that host the Iowa Deer Classic. And I consider the Iowa Deer Classic to be the best deer show I've ever been to. I mean, it's just the best facility. It's the best run. It's the best food. And those folks are coming to Illinois to try to uh, revive a, a deer show in Illinois. So be sure to support them. It'll be held in Peoria. And uh, I, I'm blessed to have been asked to speak there. So uh, look forward I to can, seeing you. I can vouch for the people that run the Iowa Deer Classic. They uh, they put on a top-notch show. And I'm excited for there to be a, another good hunting show back in Illinois. Um you remember i believe it was 16 17 years ago that's where we met you had your your tree business booth and we stopped and talked to you after you had shot your your uh, big buck so your right. first 200 inch so yep. um good for the people of illinois and uh hopefully that'll be a successful show if everybody goes out and supports that um that's all the announcements i got if you don't have anything else let's transition to the lester's feet family of the week uh presented by matthews this is a little girl named magnolia who was born with a muscular skeletal condition that um, i'm pretty familiar with this condition one of the uh, children in my home church has this and uh there's a specialist in west palm beach florida i believe it's west palm beach but um 
if if that doctor can get the baby down there uh, at a very early age, the the bones have not basically they're really limber, and through a lot of therapy, aggressive therapy for about uh, four to six months, they can basically eliminate a lot of the surgeries that the the baby will have to have later in life. So Magnolia is still going to have to have a surgery or two, but the unbelievable progress. So we're going to play this video and let everybody take a look at it. Um, Lester's feet was able to help um, this family. The cool part is we we not only helped them financially be able to move and relocate to Florida for months, but we made an announcement on this podcast. They had a chocolate lab that they needed somebody to to uh, take care of and a guy stepped up that listened to the podcast and helped them. We didn't even know it. He's a vendor of ours. That's who you ordered the the Chasing Giants decals from. We had right. no idea until afterwards. He also, my book, uh, Real World Whitetail Icons, they designed the cover and uh, basically the whole book. They designed yeah. it, laid it out. Small world. So, uh, But anyway, yep. check out the story of uh, Magnolia and her family. Um, but thanks to Matthews for bringing this segment to us. Hi guys, this is Magnolia. My name's Jessica Magnolia's mom and this is Larry Magnolia's dad. Magnolia was born with arthrogryposis multiplex congenita, also known as AMC. It's a disorder that affects the joints in her body as well as the muscles in her body. Um, when Magnolia was born, she wasn't able to move her arms or her legs and her hips were also dislocated. Um, before Magnolia was born, we found a doctor in West Palm Beach, Florida that we decided we would put in charge of all Noli's treatment. So after Noli was born, we went to West Palm Beach and she began intense physical and occupational therapy. And since then, we've seen a lot of improvements. Um, we went there for about four months and when we came back home, we've continued therapy. Um, in September, we plan to go back and she's gonna have her first major surgery that is going to um, give her hip sockets because right now she doesn't have any and her hips are anteriorly rotated which doesn't allow her to bear weight or um, walk so the hopes are that after this surgery um, she will be able to bear weight and hopefully one day walk and be able to um, live independently. We just want to thank everybody that donates to us to the feet. They made it possible for us to be in Florida with Magnolia while she got treatment. Uh, they also helped us find a home for Buckley, our dog, while we were gone. Um, thank you guys for everything.
All right. Well, um, even though we're recording this on Friday night, I got a pretty cool story for you, Don. All right. I'm ready. All right. So um, tomorrow's a very interesting day, meaning Saturday. The people watching this, it's actually yesterday, if that makes sense. But in November, um, I was contacted by a gentleman to ask me to speak at this event in Huntington, West Virginia. I don't know the guy. don't know the event. First year of it. And to be honest with you, I've always considered, I, I referred to myself the other day as the B team. You know, everybody wants to come see Don. I don't, I don't care about being in the public spotlight at all, but I don't know. For some reason, I just said, yeah, I'll come down and help you. It's about a two, two and a half hour drive. He was trying to promote, you know, uh, just the good nature of, of the sport, trying to do something positive in his community. And, and I, so I said, okay, didn't really think anything about it. Um, so tonight's Friday, tomorrow we have to be down there for the event. Thursday, we get a message on the Lester's Feet Facebook page about a family that, uh, unfortunately their 17 year old daughter's been diagnosed and been fighting breast cancer. And, uh, she's been battling that and they know nothing about the podcast. Somebody basically tagged or commented that was a friend of hers so she saw our facebook post that i think had one of the past videos on it so she just reached out and said we're really struggling i don't know how this works is anybody available to talk so i replied back said yeah that's what we're here for great and uh so i said where are you located at guess where they're located at right where you're going to speak huntington west virginia so um Hmm. I I was talking to Austin Razor today and he said we can't continue to be surprised at all of these doors that God opens for us so uh, before the event tomorrow they're not they're not any way affiliated with the event they're going to swing by and the board is going to talk to this family tomorrow and uh, pray with them and figure out how we can help them so just another opportunity where just like the announcement with the truck and Lester's feet, you got a bunch of guys and gals that are being brought together with deer hunting and uh, are finding ways to make a difference in in, uh, in other people's lives. So just, just really cool how things work out. No doubt God's got his hand in it. All right, well, let's do one listener submitted question and then we'll uh, take a break and do the biofarm.com uh, property of the week. So okay. here's the first question. Okay, the first question comes from Carl Fritz from Benton, Pennsylvania. Carl says, hi, Don and Terry. Love the podcast. Not sure if this question has been asked before or not. All things being equal, if you could buy land in any whitetail state with the goal of managing your land for mature bucks, which one would it be and why? I'd really like to hear your take on best bang for your buck, land values, different states, DNRs, uh, hunting cultures that influence the chances of growing mature bucks in different states, etc. With all your consulting all over the Midwest, I think your perspective on this subject would be a unique one. Thanks, Carl. Well, Carl, it's probably not going to come as too much as a surprise to a lot of the listeners, but uh, my pick for uh, the the state in the Midwest um, that's got a lot going for it would be Ohio. Um, so where does it start? Well, Ohio's got a longer season um, than just about any state. In fact, the season is still open right now. They got another week left, um, and, I, and I believe it opens in September. 
So uh, one of the longest seasons out there. Um, but that's not going to help you grow big deer. It, it just gives you an opportunity to, to uh, you know, enjoy a longer season. Um, a couple of things Ohio's got going for it. First of all, it's got a, it's a one buck state. You, you got a limit of one buck. Uh, that helps bucks reach older, more bucks reach older age classes. Another thing is uh, they've got a very late gun season. I believe their gun season starts uh it's after thanksgiving i know that i, I don't know if it's right. the, is it the monday after thanksgiving or the saturday after thanksgiving but anyway it's after thanksgiving very late Way so after. uh yeah it, it's after the rut so uh those bucks again have a chance to to make it to older age classes um i like the fact that ohio allows you to supplemental feed um i think that's an opportunity for a healthier deer herd and uh, what I don't like about Ohio is the fact that they allow baiting. And uh, I, I've said it before, if Ohio would get rid of the baiting during season, they would be hands down the best whitetail state um, in, in the whole country. Um, in, in fact, I think so much of Ohio that in a couple of days, I'm going to look at a property to possibly purchase uh, with a partner here in Ohio. Um, I, I owned uh, one property that I sold last summer, uh, but this partner and I are, are buying and developing properties in Ohio, and uh, we're actually going to look at two properties here on Sunday afternoon. So, uh, you know, I think enough of it that, that I'm spent spending some time here um, buying properties. Uh, even though we're flipping them, we're, we're going to hunt them. You know, as we own them and as we're developing, we're going to get to hunt those properties um, for a season or two. Uh, as we're doing the work. So uh, well, Ohio to, would be my pick. I want you to explain a statement that you made there. And that is um, about the supplemental feeding. Um, and I'm going to put words in your mouth a little bit and you can tell me I'm wrong. If I do, it's not as much about you care whether somebody is hunting over a pile of food or a feeder. It's that empowering that to be legally done across the state. You're, you're getting more uh, younger bucks killed that are going to fall for eating out of right. a bait pile. So it's not, it's, we're not, um, I don't think you're making the claim that it's right or wrong to hunt over food. It's just what hunting over food leads to as far as the, the, the quality and age structure of deer that end up getting shot because of it. Well, that's a great point, Terry. And I'm glad you brought that up. It's not my place to tell other deer hunters how to go about their deer hunting. You know, I hunt strictly with a bow. I have nothing against a gun hunter. Um, and, and that's just one example on a long list. My issue with the baiting in Ohio is that it gets a lot of young bucks killed. And if they would eliminate that, those uh, there'd be a whole lot more bucks make it to the older age class. And they've got the genetics. The genetics in Ohio are as good as anywhere on the planet. If they could just move some more bucks into the older age classes, they'd have more giants. Um, one of the other things I think that Carl needs to take into consideration is, you know, Kansas would be a great state to own property in, but being he's a Pennsylvania resident, depending on how you hunt, you know, you, if you own property in, in Kansas to hunt on, you're picking a week and taking vacation and going out there and hunting that week. Um, one of the reasons that I like hunting Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois is, I can be there in three hours. So when you see the conditions in your favor 
and uh, you know, making sure you're hunting the right wind, the right places, having a place that you can go to that's easy to get to when the weather's right, just like you did in Iowa this year, even though you weren't successful, you know, you can jump in the truck and run and do it. Um, when, when properties are eight, 12 hours away, man, that's really hard to effectively hunt different weather patterns. You're basically picking your window and hoping for the best. Yeah, you know, there is a lot of East Coast hunters, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, uh, up and down the East Coast that head to the Midwest every year. And they'll end up in states like Illinois, Kansas, Iowa, Missouri, wherever. And, and they a lot of them drive right through Ohio to get there. And folks, I'm telling you, I, I live in Illinois, but the, the next state that I spend the most time in is probably Ohio. Right. I, every year I do at least. 15, 20 properties in Ohio. And if you're driving through Ohio to get to Illinois, you are making a huge mistake. Well, the, I, I think just to call it out, a lot of the appeal of Illinois of why somebody would want to go there is it's a two buck state. So if you're buying property as a non-resident hunter, you can legally kill two bucks. And th there's this logic that I'm amateurizing my cost of the lease or cost of the property over potentially two bucks but it says something about a state that lets that happen and eventually like we've seen in illinois the quality of the deer's gone down because of that you know if you're going to invest in something don't just say what's the quick reason or quick way i can get you know a property to hunt i think looking at states like ohio that's being managed much more effectively with one buck state, late gun season, uh, that's got the potential to kill the giant probably more than the state that allows two deer, if that makes sense. And you know what? The the tag in Ohio is very reasonable. Too. It's over the I mean, counter. There's no lottery. Right. And, and it's cheap compared to some other states. I mean, it's probably half the price of Illinois. I don't remember what I paid in, when I hunted Ohio a couple of years ago, but I'm thinking it was around $200 or so. In yeah, Illinois, dropped, you're spending almost five. I drop, I drop right at a thousand dollars in Illinois for tags and licenses for two every year. Mm -hmm. So, all right, well, let's move on to the buyafarm.com property of the week. everybody this is terry with the buyafarm.com uh, segment of chasing giants podcast i i got wayne keller on the line with us and wayne's back with an awesome property in missouri this time uh wayne this is a uh, four tracks that's going to be up on auction you want to take a couple minutes and walk us through this property sure uh this is a property that's about 24 miles south of perryville missouri on highway uh, just off of highway 51 it's 1,289 acres. It's going to be offered in four tracks. Uh, it is online right now for open bidding right now. The third, uh, it will become a virtual auction and uh, buyer's choice. So you can bid and pick if you want the whole farm, one track, two, three, four, whatever you want. Okay. And, well, let's talk, uh, a, let's talk a little bit about each of these tracks. Um, I know there's four of them. 
and you've been on this property numerous times, so and even ran mm-hmm. some trail camera pictures. So the people listening to this that are looking for um, hunting property probably want to know a little bit about that. But um, you know, this is a working fenced cattle farm, so even the people mm-hmm. looking for um, ag um, might be interested in the details of all of it. Right. I'll start out on track four. And the reason is I had put trail cameras on it about a year ago because I figured it was the better of the hunting properties. It's got a nice little uh, older mobile home on it. It's in good shape, but a lot of it's wooded. It is, I think, a darn good hunting property. It's a pretty one. But I never really thought of the other as being much of a hunting farm until uh, I was showing the property here this fall and uh, had a customer there, and we looked up and there was a big old buck <laughs> up there again, the tree line, and we were scrambling to get our cameras out to get his picture. And I got one, not very clear, but after that I realized, <clears throat> hey, this is probably a pretty good hunting farm. So I come down a few days later and put trail cameras up on the property. But, again, the hunting season was just about over. Right. And uh, I know the guy that was hunting it was telling me, he said, yeah, there's one really big one out there. And he said, I've been after him for two years. And he said he made it through the season again this year. All right. Well, that's good. So that's track That's so, track number four. Yeah, well, this one I was just telling you about was up on track number Oh, okay. Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you went to the other yeah. track. Track four is where right, you started right. hanging trail cameras. Yes, right. Well, that goes back so, to a lot that Don talks about is the big bucks go to where no people's at. So that might be why he was over on that other one. Never well, know. I'll tell you what, this, this farm is so big that the track south of the road, track one, it's a mile and a half from one end to the other. Wow. And, uh, again, the guys that were hunting it said that was um, awfully good hunting on that one. Uh, the, the guy that rents the farm hunts it, and he has buddies come in out of state and hunts it with him. And then uh, we move up to the north part, and I guess it's a mile and a half deep also. And you can really get way back off the road and away from everybody back in there because there's a lot of small fields, wood lines, and uh, some bigger patches of timber, and uh, it's just good deer country. Yeah, this looking at the pictures on here, it lays a lot like Kentucky, rolling hills with little hollers mm-hmm. and connecting yeah. woods in it. But uh, you, yeah. there's a lot of pictures of cattle on here, so it looks like it's ready to mm-hmm. farm um, and deer hunt. So um, right. I mean, I, I'm not a, I'm not a hunter, and I'm not going to claim to be and tell you that I am. But you know, over the years, I've sold oh somewhere between seventy and eighty thousand acres of uh, land in Illinois and Missouri, and at least fifty percent of that was hunting properties. So, you know, I mean, I know a decent hunting property when I see it. But uh, uh, again, I think this is a good one, but I don't claim to be an expert either. Sure. Well, this is a big chunk of land with all four tracks in it. It says here on the website it's uh, 1,289 acres approximately. Mm-hmm. But, right. you know, you if you get on to this auction, the way you were explaining it, you have the choice. So you're, you're bidding by the acre, and when you, win, right. when you win the price per acre, you choose which track you want, and you can take all of it if you want or certain parts, and whatever's right. left, they open right. the bidding back up. So right. pretty common. But it's open. It is open for pre-bidding right now. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and the track sizes, track one is 412 acres, two is 166 acres, track three is uh, 597 acres. That's a big one. Yeah. 
and then uh, track four is the smallest one. It's 112 acres. Yep. So um, scroll through over on to, we usually were featuring properties in Illinois, but this one's in Missouri. How, what's the proper pronunciation for this county? Is it Bollinger? Bollinger. 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 So yeah. go go to uh, Bollinger County, Missouri, and it's the only track on Biofarm's website for this one. It's an online auction. It closes on March 3rd. Now, if somebody wants to visit this property, can they schedule that with you? They can schedule that at, uh, at any time that I'm available. But we do have an open house on Saturday, February the 19th from 10 to 3. And, you know, we prefer to do it at that time. But right. uh, you can't make it. Let me know. I'll work something out. All right, Wayne. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we wrap this up by you leaving your contact information for everybody and tell them how to get a hold of you if they have questions on this property or any others that you have listed. Well, my uh, cell phone number is uh, it's my office number is eight hundred three fifty seven forty twenty. It does roll to my to my cell phone, and again eight hundred three fifty seven forty twenty. All right, so visit Biofarm either on their Facebook site or at biofarm.com. Wayne, we appreciate you being on the podcast again this week and uh, look forward to having you next week with a different property, okay? All righty, you Thank- take care. Have a good one. Thank you. All right, well, thanks to Wayne Keller and Biofarm for that property. That's an online auction, but huge track of land in Missouri that's going to be on auction. Um, Got some good-looking deer hunting in there that you can uh, pick different tracks on. So make sure you head out to biofarm.com to check that or other properties out. We appreciate their support uh, on the podcast. So, Don, can we move on to the next question? Yep, I'm ready. This is a long one. This is a long one, and it's from a uh, one of my consulting clients. He's probably going to be shocked that I read this, Terry, because he sent me this in an email as well, and I responded to it. And uh, I thought he was being negative towards me, and I didn't respond in the nicest way. I apologize to him later, but uh, I'll answer his questions uh, here uh, on the podcast as well. Um, because there may be some others that are, are wondering the same things that Ryan has asked. And it comes from Ryan Ellenboss from Zeeland, Michigan. Uh, Ryan says, Don, you've been out on a consulting trip to my properties, and I have a few questions for you on your recent podcast. Love what you're doing and religiously listen to you every week and think you are helping many hunters. So I, I'm going to take these questions one at a time and, and answer them. So first, he says, you mentioned in your previous podcast that you wouldn't use burning technique on your farms for your habitat. And then this week you said you were planning on burning. I just feel that sometimes you are contradicting yourself and then confuses me on what to do. Um, that, that's a great point, Ryan. Um, I'm glad you brought it up. So when I talked about not burning, I was actually talking about timber. Um, from what I had seen on a property, in uh, Missouri where part of the property or part of the woodland had been burned and part had not, the part that had not been burnt had a whole lot better deer cover. So burning absolutely has its place. For example, if you got a cedar thicket, uh, you can go in and cut those cedars, let them dry up for a year or two, then come back with fire and burn that up. And and you've just created a, a perfect environment for 
you know, a lot of browse species to come on and fill in. Um, I'm not a, a fan of it in like a hardwood woods, such as an oak woods, but it does have its place. Now, when I talk about burning, I'm talking about burning my switchgrass, my native grasses, and, and that's totally different than burning a woods. Um, those grasses need to be burned about every two to three years in the spring. And just, well, actually the fire does three things. First of all, it stimulates those grasses. The year you burn them, they will be taller and thicker than on the years you don't. Uh, the second thing it does is it burns up a lot of the weed seeds. So you're going to have a few weeds out there with your grasses and, and that fire will take care of a lot of the weed seed. And the third thing it does is if you never burned it, it'd be like never mowing your yard. You know, weeds would come on and then eventually tree saplings, briars and things would take over. And eventually you're after a number of years, your yard would become a woods. Well, in those grass fields, a lot of tree seedlings get started out there from tree seed being blowed out or squirrels burying um, acorns or whatever. If you burn on a regular basis, you can keep those trees under control because that fire will boil the cambium layer of that tree. That's the layer between the bark and the wood. Um, that's the living layer, if you will, where the nutrients are going back and forth from the from the roots to the, the end of the shoots or the leaves or whatever. And by boiling that or burning that cambium layer, it'll kill that tree. So uh, it stimulates the grasses, it burns up weed seed, and it kills uh, tree seedlings and, and it keeps you a good stand. It's, I, I compare it to mowing your yard. Uh, you, you wouldn't think of not mowing your yard, it'd turn into a mess. And the same way with these native grasses. So fire does have its place. And uh, you're right, Ryan, I was probably didn't explain myself well enough and it sounded like i was contradicting myself two um episodes in a row because the next episode i talked about mowing down my corn because i was going to burn right next to the cornfield and didn't want that fire to get away yeah we uh we get so used to talking to each other we understand what each other means but i get that we need to probably clarify in some cases a little bit better so hope that makes sense um ryan goes on secondly on your comments on doing consulting work on an aerial i agree that it is very difficult to come up with a good plan on just an aerial alone and i imagine these guys that are doing this are also getting other information from the owner to help make their decision and help them if not i agree it's a ripoff but one of my properties that you looked at and gave me a plan for if you remember we had a flat tire and had to get that fixed in the freezing cold weather and it ended up you never did see the whole property we only rode on about five acres of the 160 acre farm and you said you didn't need to see any more of it and then proceeded to give me a plan only after seeing the aerial how were you able to do that i just feel a little taken aback by your comments when that is really what you did for our property and we paid full price well brian or, or ryan that is not at all the way I remember it. And this is the part that uh, kind of got my feathers ruffled and uh, resulted in my reply to you, which um, it, it wasn't that bad, but it was pretty pointed. Um, I remember, I know exactly the farm you're talking about. I know exactly, I remember exactly where the flat tire happened. Uh, we seen way more than five acres of the farm. That farm also had a lot of open area on it. Um, so it was not like it was 160 acres of woods. There's a lot of ag field and, uh, you know, I, I've looked at probably 
uh, I'm just going to guess probably 300 to 400 properties for various clients in the past few years. And one thing about it, every single property is unique and every single client is unique. And when you combine those, you, you know, everything is, each visit is totally different than another. And, uh, and I think I mentioned earlier, I was on a farm in Kansas this week where we never got out of the truck at all. Not, not at all, but I could see everything I needed to that. And I'm talking things that you absolutely could not see on an aerial, but, but I could see them from the truck cab. Um, I was on another property in Missouri where it, it was more wooded, where we had to do some walking. And, but here's the thing. The first thing that I'm always looking for on any property, any property, the first thing I'm looking for is where are we going to put the sanctuary? We've got to get the bucks that we want to kill bedded on the property. I mean, that's the number one goal. Most, most of my clients, I think the number one goal in their head whenever I show up is, I need him to tell me where I need to put my stand so I can kill the big bucks. Well, my goal is totally different. My goal is we got to get the bucks bedded on that property first. If we get them bedded there, I fully believe that the client's going to get them killed. And uh, that's why the sanctuary is so important. So if I've already determined that, you know, a certain place on the property is going to be the sanctuary, I, all I need to see is how thick the cover is within that sanctuary. Do we need to enhance that cover? If it's already thick enough, then I don't need to, I don't need to go in there and stomp around. I don't need to go look for rubs and scrapes and trails and whatever, because it's a sanctuary. I, I don't really care what's in there to a certain degree. Now I do care that it's thick, good bedding cover. I, I do care that there's no human intrusions in there, but you know, if, that that's where it ends and, and i don't need to, to walk in there and see every single tree so um i hope that explains and answers your question ryan and um i, I think by picking your question i'm showing all the listeners every client that i've ever had that i'm willing to take the heat if you don't like something you've seen from me i'll, th I'll let the whole public hear my reply um, because your success is my success. I want you to be successful just as much as you do, because that's what's built my business is, is the success of my clients. So I, I do appreciate Ryan that you did take the time to email me as well as submit the question. Then, and then the final part to, to Ryan's uh, submission, he says the other property you did for me, if you remember, you did several properties for our group in that weekend. We did ride around most, but surely not all of the property. And we only got out of the truck once to walk 50 yards into the woods in one spot. Then I seem to see many pictures of properties you have been on recently. And it seems like you have been walking all of your customers' properties. Why were my two properties different? Well, again, Ryan, every property I do is different. Every single one of them every client's different. It, it all depends on what can be seen. Now I'm going to see what I need to see to put a plan together. And, and once I've seen it, you know, I've got the plan in my head. I just need to get to a computer and, and get it on, on a plan where you can see it. Um, now I, I'm not about to just show up at somebody's place 
and just go for a ride in their truck and and take their money and throw out some plan. Um, I think the success of my clients proves that what I'm putting out there works. And I'm going to see whatever I need to see to get that plan um, to the client. I got one point to make on this. <laughs> okay. The, the last the last part of Ryan's question, a lot of that's my fault, Ryan, because this guy goes and goes and goes. And one of my biggest challenges with Don is to get him to slow down and document anything. And especially with social media right now, part of getting engagement, part of, uh, you know, putting content out for our listeners is a certain type of customer interaction picture. So if you notice what we shared earlier in this, it doesn't mean that he's out walking every square inch of a property, but he's standing in front of a fossil rock. He's standing in front of a giant tree. He's standing in front of a fence. So that's one of the things that I've really challenged Don to do is document more of these moments that might give you the perception that he's out walking 26 miles a day with some of these clients. Um, I've seen what the man can do and stepping on a property and, and putting things into perspective, but connecting that to a stranger at a trade show, setting down and rolling a map out, that's what we're just warning people. If you want to go spend your money for somebody to do that for you, by all means, go ahead. But our point is just to be careful. So I hope that makes a little bit more sense. So you ready to move on to the next one or you got anything else to say? Um, was that the end of Ryan's? I thought there was a little bit more. Oh, end. sorry about that. Let me uh, go back. I have already advanced the slide. There you go. Um, oh, I guess he just had one one comment. Thanks for all you do. And hopefully we will continue to kill big bucks with all your help. Does that um, mean they're well, killing big bucks with the plan that you made for him? Well, that was my question. But the <laughs> thing of it is, I was just there. I think it was just last winter. So, I mean, I think it's only been a year, maybe right. two years. And there was several... We, we looked at several farms. There was a group from Michigan that had various properties they owned or leased um, in Illinois. And I, I think I was there for two days and looked at probably five farms. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope they were successful. And I hope if any of my clients are not successful, one of the things that I, I do that's probably different than any other consultant is when I put a plan together for anyone, I keep a copy of that plan and that marked aerial on my computer, my home computer. So a client could call me five years later and say, hey, I got a question about tree stand number seven on my plan. I, I can pull up his plan. I know exactly what tree stand number seven is. And uh, you remember like every farm. You're like some of these guys that remember every golf course hole that they've ever played. Somebody can tell yeah. you about a farm from four years ago and you know what ridge had the south facing slope with the bedding below it or something. I don't understand how you remember every single farm. Well, you know what? I've got a client in southern Illinois, Kyle Childers. I hope he don't mind me mentioning his name. Kyle is an orthodontist. And I told him one time, I said, I remember every property I've ever been on. I remember him. And he says, you know what? I can believe that because I remember every set of teeth I've ever seen. He says, I can run into one of my patients in Walmart and I can't remember their name, but I remember their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it, funny. he related to what I was saying. All right. So let's move on to question number three. Uh, the next question comes from Gavin Olinger from Prophetstown, Illinois. Gavin says, 
Hey there, Don and Terry. My name is Gavin Ollinger from Northwestern Illinois, and I have spent the past four years seriously chasing big deer. I have tried to obtain a few more hunting spots each year since it is easy for me to burn out my spots. Every new spot that I get, it seems there is some big buck that I want to target that year. So my question for Don is how do you target a big mature buck that you have no previous year history with in a new area? I know you have killed a lot of bucks through multiple years of history, but I am wondering if you had it, have had any success on first year properties with new mature bucks. I appreciate all that you guys have done for the sport and I have learned so much from both of you. God bless and have a wonderful shed season. Well, Gavin, one buck in particular comes to mind. Um, it, it was my first 200. It was a 214 inch buck that I shot in 2004. I shot it on a property I just got permission for. Um, basically, I got permission for it in uh, about the middle of November. I killed the buck on the second hunt on that property. So how did what did I do? Well, the first time I went onto that property, I had two choices. And uh, was, was I going to stomp the whole property and find the best place to hang my stand? Or was I going to hang a stand out on the edge, a, a good spot? but but stay out on the edge and not even go into that cover just the first good spot i come to on the edge hang that stand hunt it with the wind right and that was the choice i made and when i was younger and, and that was you know what was that 16 17 17 18 years ago yep. I, I that was kind of a turning point in my career where i i was starting to realize how important freedom of human intrusion was and if, if I would have had that situation just a couple of years before, I would have probably stomped that whole property looking for the very best tree in the whole woods to hang my stand. And I would have probably bumped that deer out and never killed him. As it was, I hung that stand in the first good spot I come to on an inside corner of a field, a spot that I could observe as well as have uh, observe a lot of territory as well as have a decent chance of shooting that buck I was after. Um, the, the next time that I came back, the second hunt uh, was about probably 10 days after my first hunt. The wind was right again for that stand. I slipped in and I got the buck killed. Um, the lessons there can be carried on to any property, any buck. Um, freedom of human intrusion. You, you, you wanna hunt and give yourself a chance but you want to be cautious enough that you're not bumping that deer off of that property. Hunt the edges, always watch the wind. Um, and really I'm trying to, and even back then I was trying to put the pieces together thinking that I would kill that buck the next year, but yet sometimes, you know, it happens that way. And that's not the only buck I've, I've killed on new properties and, and, uh, you know, bucks that I had no history with, but that, that was one of my biggest. So it's one that, that really comes to mind. But that's one of the core values that is kind of your Higgins style of hunting. You know, there's a lot of other guys in the industry and if, if that works for them, it's fine, but they're going to tell you to go in there, bust him out of his bed, hang a tree stand there for him to come back the next day. You know, um, you've always stood behind the fact of I'm going to play it cautious and have more opportunities to keep that buck there over time 
without bumping him versus blow him out of there and maybe never see him again. So yeah, you can you can try to hunt these things like a turkey where you're running and gunning all over the place. And for some guys, they might get it done that first time. It might work. But when you're playing money ball for national championships, you take a little bit more conservative approach and try to keep that animal there and have more opportunities to hunt him when the wind's right. It, I, I just, I've got to believe that this whole, I don't know what they call it, run and gun or bump and dump or I don't know, run and take a dump, maybe, but it's no brown. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've just got to believe that, that they spook and, and lose opportunities at more bucks than they ever kill and by a, by a wide margin. And, I, and I'm not saying it never works because there's a lot of things that'll work once or twice, but uh, I, I'm playing the odds and I want that deer. When I figure out where he's at, I want him staying there. I don't want to bump him and then have to go find him again. Well, and the other thing too, and you know, I don't want to draw this out, but a lot of guys that use that philosophy are hunting strictly public. And the, the methodology there is I got to get on that deer and get him killed before somebody else gets in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but when people take that mentality and say, oh, I'm going to go back into my sanctuary or a new farm that I just got permission on that nobody else is there. I don't know that that strategy really aligns with the property you're managing. I mean, I could I could see where that makes sense for somebody to say, this is my only chance to kill that buck on public ground. I still wouldn't go about it that way, but I get it. But mm-hmm. I, I think too many people take that approach and say, well, and this isn't a bash to saddle hunters. This isn't a bash to public land hunters. It's just there's a different strategy for that. And, and I really believe that some of that mentality, you know, carry a decoy with a with it out in front of you and try to stock up on a, a six and a half year old world-class whitetail they see this stuff on tv and then think well i'm gonna i'm gonna hunt my lease that way and i think i think in that case you probably on average will do more harm than good no doubt about it you'll burn out a property in a hurry all right so that was gavin's question we got one more that we want to go over tonight Okay, the last one comes from Johnny Flynn from Reedsville, North Carolina. He says, hello, Don and Terry. My question is twofold. One, do you believe we are at the pinnacle of hunting as far as giant bucks are concerned? Or have we passed the best it's going to get? Or do you believe it can still improve? Uh, I'm going to answer that question before I move on to the second one. Uh, You know, Johnny, I think we're probably, it, it depends on where you're at. My state of Illinois is headed down the toilet. It's been headed down the toilet for about almost 20 years now. And it's, it's just, it's about to go off the cliff. Um, it, it's sad because Illinois once was home to the best deer herd on the planet. Mismanagement is the only culprit. And, uh, but I do think that we've got more and more deer hunters that are wanting to manage for quality and all it takes to grow a giant buck is a little bit of security if if he can find a safe place uh to stick his head every day uh, he's got a chance to make it to maturity and you know that's why i preach the sanctuary on every property because if you got a sanctuary you're going to have some bucks live there some of those bucks are going to make it old and some of them old bucks are going to have really nice racks um from 
from a state management perspective, and I'm not just talking about Illinois, I'm talking about any state. The thing that concerns me is the idea that CWD is this boogeyman that's going to destroy our deer herd and that in order to prevent the spread of CWD, we've got to kill the older age class animals. Um, we don't want those bucks getting old. Um, we, we want to just hammer the deer herd. Um, so we've got a, a lot less deer, but also a lot less old deer in particular. And that, that worries me. So I would not be a bit surprised if we haven't seen the best days as far as growing big deer on a, a statewide level. Now there's going to be pockets, you know, we can look at, I don't know, Decatur County, Iowa, for example, there's going to be those places where the private landowners have taken the management away from the state and, and they're handling it on their own. Those kind of situations, they're going to crank out some giants. Um, so I, I guess it depends on how you look at it. If you're a part uh, of one of those groups and you've tied up a bunch of land and everybody's working together and you've taken the management away from the state, yeah, you're going to enjoy some fantastic hunting for many years. To come. But if you're dependent on the state to manage for better deer, I, I think those days are over. And that's every state. I mean, it's there's money involved, so that that puts the priority. We've talked about it on the podcast before. That takes the priority away from the deer herd, and it changes it to a revenue stream. And you know, um, whether you're talking about extended crossbow seasons, whether you're talking about gun seasons in the middle of the rut, you're all of these things are made to get more hunters involved in the sport. And and I don't mean that we're discouraging people to start hunting. We want people to hunt. But the goal in all of those decisions is to try to get as many people spending money on equipment, paying for licenses and getting them in the woods for longer periods of time. So it's a revenue generation. It's not still get the same amount of people and encourage the sport to the next generations, but, but limit what people can shoot when they can shoot them, I think is the biggest problem. And Illinois, I agree with you. I think it went started going down 20 years ago, but then it had in certain areas like like ours up there, um, devastating EHD years, and and they never adapted it. So what was what was slowly starting to trickle down, maybe like this, all of a sudden had these big bumps where it fell off, but it still hasn't recovered because the state didn't adapt, you know, their management plan and tags available when good grief, 70% of the deer herd was dead. Um, so I think, I think that's why uh, those combination of things is why Illinois, I think is, is probably on a faster decline than, you know, there's great states out there. So I think that's part of his next question. If you, are you, we want to move on to that? Yeah. The second question is, why is Wisconsin not talked about as much as Iowa, Kansas, Ohio, and a few other states? Wisconsin may not be what it used to be. I don't know. I know there has been CWD or EHD there, but Wisconsin has far and away more Boone and Crockett bucks in the record books than any other state. And I have looked at the most recent data I can find. Thanks for the podcast. You can give my shirt to someone else. I already have one. Well, here's the, the issue that I see with Wisconsin, Johnny. It's Wisconsin does 
crank out a lot of booners. And when I say booners, I mean net 170 inch deer. Wisconsin does not crank out a lot of 200 inch deer. And that's why it does not get the recognition. It produces a whole lot of really, really good deer, but it doesn't produce the great top end deer the world that places class. like Iowa do does. So that's that's why Wisconsin typically does not get mentioned with those other states. Yeah, the the number of world class, what we're going to call two hundred inch deer, that um, you know, and I, Ohio's Ohio's produced some mega giants, um, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Um, but you know, it's it's Kansas and 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 Iowa do get a lot of the buzz on that just because of you know where they're at. It's um, there's still people that's that's in Wisconsin looking to go to Iowa, and there's a reason for that. Right. Uh, I've got more than one client from Wisconsin that owns land in Iowa that, you know, I've looked at their farms in Iowa, but, uh, you know, a big deer can come anywhere though. I mean, just look at the giant typical that was just killed in Indiana in Indiana does a terrible job of managing their deer herd, but, but yet they put out the the number two typical ever killed. Um, I, I think the big issue is that most States politics have become involved in the management of the deer herds or, or big game herds really. And they're really, they're managing those herds for maximum revenue and not for the best health uh, of the herd or or for the best hunting or for the best age structure. It's all about managing for the most income. Yep. And keeping the uh, uh, auto insurance lobbyist happy. Yeah. If if people Uh, don't. Politics. if people do not believe that that is a big portion of what your DNR is up against with some of the decisions they make, you have the wool pulled over your eyes. The The auto insurance lobbyist is a huge player in what your local state government and DNR is doing with, with uh, management practices. And there's a lot of us in, in different states that like to just hammer away at our DNR. In some cases, States have fantastic biologists whose hands are being tied by politics. Right. It's just what Terry was talking about. The, the legislators say, Hey, you you know, the legislator just took a payoff from the insurance lobby and they're going to dictate that by golly, we're going to kill 10 times more deer than we did last year. Politicians get payoffs. Well, how do you think (laughs) people like Nancy, now you're going to get me fired up on politics. You know what? I was just thinking today, driving down the road, this whole COVID thing, you know what, how does the government, why, why is the government forcing people to take free shots? Why? Well, I'll tell you why they're forcing them to take free shots because the, the drug companies are, are giving the politicians payoff. The, the, the government is paying. There's nothing free. The government is paying for those COVID shots. The government is paying hospitals to diagnose COVID it, it, it's all the, the drug companies are, are putting out a stinking vaccine that doesn't even work. And they're, they're just raking the taxpayer over the coals and uh, the politicians are just stuffing their pockets on a political disease. Ran over. <laughs> for the, everybody you had to get me fired up on politics. For everybody, for everybody listening on uh, Tech or on uh the podcast i have a screwdriver in my hand and i'm poking him <laughs> it worked <laughs> well, what were we talking about we were talking about 
We used to talk about well, states managing their deer herd, and somehow well, I got off on. Well, I was thinking about that COVID garbage today. Politicians taking payoffs. I would have never guessed it. You almost no, that, mentioned. I think Nancy Pelosi names almost came out of your mouth there for a second. So yeah, it did. You kind of. I mean, how do you make on her salary? How do you get to become a multi, multi tens of millionaire? <laughs> and it, 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 the numbers just don't add up. Well, how did Obama do it? Same way. They're all crooked. <laughs> and, and I'm not. Garbage. We haven't used well, the word it, garbage in a while. It, it's not. Ju- and here's the thing that really yanks me. It, it's not just the Democrats. The Democrats are evil. Oh. No doubt about it. They're, they're plum evil. But the Republicans, they can't stick together on anything. Half of them are corrupt. You know, if the, if the Republicans had stood behind Trump, you know, we wouldn't have any of this garbage. But but you you know the, why they couldn't because half of them are corrupt half of them are taking illegal money under the table too. I'm not a I'm not a Republican people I I I'd bash the Democrats but don't think for a minute that I'm a Republican I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to drag myself to the polls next election after what happened last time. Your blood pressure up a little bit? No, nah, I'm feeling pretty good really. <laughs> <laughs> Got that out of your system before you go to bed. You'll sleep good tonight. Yeah, I'm ready to take a nap. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's enough for episode 102. Uh, This is, like I said, we appreciate the the support listening. Hey, if you're you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Um, It it helps create engagement. Even if it's just leaving a comment telling what we do good or bad, um, it doesn't matter. And if you're listening on a podcast platform, make sure you hit that five-star review if you don't mind. If you want a one-star review, we get those every once in a while too. But it uh, it means a lot that you guys support us and share uh, the word a lot. Um, we're really excited about this Lester's Feet raffle. Um, if you got some ideas or, or want to donate to something, please reach out. Uh, we're giving away a $60,000 truck this year. That's just, that's amazing that we've, we've put this thing together and uh, created this platform. It's awesome. And that's just the beginning. There'll be a whole lot more prizes. And um, I have no doubt it's going to be way bigger than last year. So for all those Amish friends that, that are listening on MTech, our goal is to at least have the auction site and the ability to sell tickets by ship Shawana. So that's my goal. We might not know of all the 30 different additional prizes that are going to be in the raffle, but we know that you guys that come to that show want to participate in this. So we're trying to rush and get stuff done now that we have some work done with the attorney. So our goal is to be able to do that at the Ship Shawana show. We'll, we'll provide more details as we go. So I don't have anything else, Don. You be safe while you're out traveling in Ohio. There's uh, more snow and ice coming in, I think, tonight here in Kentucky. And uh, we'll circle back with everybody next week. Yeah. God bless everyone. Have a great week. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.